Teacher retention, just like any other industry, like healthcare and such in the state of New Hampshire, is a problem. And uh, I was interested to see an article from Ethan DeWitt, reporter ever at NewHampshireBulletin.com. Welcome back to the show, Ethan. Glad to be back. So it's it seems like education and healthcare, it's like the, these scales go back and forth, like, oh, God, oh, God, things aren't working, things aren't working, what are we doing? Uh, education uh, definitely has been getting some headlines recently. What stood out to you on this? Yeah, so I think one of the, just to give the overall context, schools are still struggling to hire staff. They're not as str- struggling as much as they were during the peak of, co- of COVID, um, but there are still a lot of vacancies, particularly among paraprofessionals, and so schools are having to kind of uh, do a little bit of a dance every week to see where they can kind of fill gaps. Paraprofessionals are educators who are not teachers not leading the classroom but they are doing kind of one-on-one services with students whether they're specialists like a reading specialist or um, special education uh, support and so those jobs are getting are, are particularly hard to fill and superintendents are still struggling with this and so there is a committee a legislative committee, and it's called the Committee to Study New Hampshire Teacher Shortages and Recruitment Incentives, and they've been meeting for the last few years. And so I thought I would uh, kind of sit in on on that and and listen to that. And along the way, there was some research that was presented to that committee by Reaching Higher New Hampshire, which is a sort of pro-public education uh, think tank that conducted a survey last year, and they have released the findings this year of the survey, and they kind of asked online people to teachers to talk about what some are some of the challenges. And so through by looking at those numbers, we get a glimpse as to why teachers may be leaving districts or may not be coming back after they've retired. Yeah, it, it, it's a stressful situation. I mean, with, with COVID, obviously, there's a huge burnout factor when it comes to that. And it, it, you can't underestimate the importance of the paraprofessionals when it comes to K-12 through education, uh, between the special ed teachers that are able to give the one-on-one attention to the students that maybe need uh, to not necessarily be in a larger classroom for various reasons, whether psychological or educational, mm-hmm. um, and, and nursing staff. Like, okay, I got a kid hacking along out in the corner. It's a distraction. I don't really have a, a, a place for the person to go to to go get looked at and to get uh, support, office staff, things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. And then throw in the the fact that also a lot of people just didn't come back to work after COVID. Like a lot of yeah. people like took early retirement. They decided that, hey, especially with education, a lot of, a lot of the, the demographics lean female, that's for sure. And, and a lot more people on that side of it are more likely to be staying at home now. Yeah, and I think that you're seeing that again. You saw a wave of retirements, sort of early retirements among teachers, um, and you know you that a lot of that had to do with remote learning and just the strain under COVID. But another thing to remember is that when paraprofessionals are absent, that means generally that the teachers themselves are having to take some of that load on. And so you know I've talked to a superintendent who said that that's what that juggling act looks like. So now because one area is understaffed, you're getting more strain on teachers who are, you know, traditionally supposed to do certain tasks and, and not necessarily the work that professionals do. And so that's causing more strain and, you know, that might be causing more burnout as well. Um, but so, yeah, the survey result, this again was from administered in spring 2022. It looked at 590 
elementary, middle, and high school teachers, as well as administrators and paraprofessionals. Um, it's not a, a randomized study. It's not necessarily representative, but it is interesting, you know, based on kind of some of the responses. And it found kind of an, an almost even split among some of the reasons why teachers are leaving. One of them was an overarching concern with the school's climate. Uh, the other one was a perceived lack of administrative support. And another one was low pay, which is been, you know, a consistent issue, especially with paraprofessionals. Um, so I thought it was interesting. There's a, there's not one key reason, but it's kind of a mix of all of these things. And some of what we have seen in the last few years with COVID has driven a lot of that. Yeah. And I mean, the pay side is definitely an important thing. It's brought up a lot, obviously, by the unions. That's their job. They're there to negotiate to make sure they're, uh, those they represent are getting the most pay that they can because uh, that's, that's their job. But it, it's, I mean, New Hampshire, generally speaking, knows pretty, pretty well on when it comes to teacher pay, correct? Well, it's, I think, it, um, depending on where you look at, I think the average pay, um, the average pay for a first-year teacher, according to salary.com, is $43,000. So that's $20,000 less than the average salary in the state. Um and that's one thing that the committee is looking at. That's for mm -hmm. pe pe teachers starting out. Um, you know, you, as you as you stay longer, you get more pay. But that's an issue because one problem that people are looking at is the pipeline to become a teacher is becoming increasingly strained. Uh, teacher educator programs are becoming less and less popular, and that's something that is another huge um, can of worms that the state is looking at to, how to, to see what, what, what can be done to kind of increase interest in becoming a teacher and kind of fill the, the pipeline to allow for you know, more teachers to fill some of these positions. Uh, so that's another whole thing. But um, yeah, the salary is definitely um, a factor. Obviously, you know, inflation has caused that to be more difficult to, to work with. And then the climate is something that is, there's a whole bunch of kind of different sources for that. It's, but when I talked to a superintendent after looking at the survey, he said it has a lot to do with kind of the culture around the school and whether the teachers feel supported or attacked. And I think that We've seen a lot of fronts opening up in the public discourse around uh, education where you can kind of see where that might be. Um, some of the topics that started, you know, during COVID with certain policies that schools had around COVID. It's kind of moved through into some other areas um, such as, you know, gender identity, LGBTQ issues, uh, how you talk about kind of race, et cetera. There's been a few laws. So it's, it's, that's, it's hard to pin that down to one thing either. Um, but what is interesting is that a lot of that obviously has surfaced in the last few years, you know, kind of started with during COVID with, with a lot of parents who suddenly became much more focused on their kids' curriculum, became much more involved in school board meetings, um, and, you know, that kind of evolved from a COVID-specific issue to uh, different issues that I just um, noted. But one of the superintendents that I talked to actually got his, uh, the equivalent of a, of a doctorate, essentially, in uh, education in this 
he wrote a thesis about teacher shortages in New Hampshire. And he did that before COVID. He did it the year before COVID that he did his research. And so I think it's interesting to note that even before everything became so politicized and, and you know, we're in this reality where every school board meeting is really heightened and pitched uh, and whole, whole political campaigns are being run on kind of what is being taught in schools, he measured what was causing some of the satisfaction and dissatisfaction of teachers before all of that. And his findings were interesting because basically when he went about it he wanted to look, he started off he wanted to look at what is uh causing teachers to leave and then he decided actually the better question is what is causing teachers to stay so he went to districts where that had high retention and talked to the teachers there and kind of embedded there and these were all in rural areas of the state and one of his biggest conclusions was that community is a key key way to make a teacher stay and that obviously is a pretty umbrella term, but it kind of connects a little bit, even before all of these political issues came up, connects a little bit back to that climate issue. So basically, if a teacher is in a school, in a district, in a town, that where they feel kind of supported, that they feel that even if there are disagreements with parents, that everybody's kind of working on the same page and, and that they are supported by their by their school administration, by their district administration, by the, the state itself, and by the community. Those are all the ingredients for them to want to stay. And, you know, he talked about talking to a teacher who, who could have gone to a district you know, a, a few miles over that would give a, a pay raise of $20,000. And that teacher told him during during his research that they don't want to do that because they actually, uh, you know, really like the culture and the climate at their school uh, that they were already at. It's an example of these are kinds of the intangible things that um, can really change how teachers stay. And some of these go beyond the classroom. Yeah, it, it really, reading your article especially, it was like, Red flags are going off in my head. I'm plugged into politics, obviously, way too much, as anyone who knows uh, the show is well aware. It, it just mm -hmm. it really came across to me that a lot of this is coming down to national and statewide politics kind of taking over the entirety of um, local discussions when it comes to education and what, what should be funded, what shouldn't be funded, and things like that, as opposed to the needs of the direct community. And it, it, it's unfortunately, teachers end up the the low man on the totem pole kind of having to suffer the consequences of that kind of that toxic debate and you hear what's happened in many school boards across the state it's it's not healthy yeah i think that there's definitely a you know the 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 concept of indoctrination is i think it's a politically useful word for certain people to use but when it comes down to you know and you can make an argument uh and plenty have that you know there are there are policies in schools that you know not all parents agree with that might not that shouldn't be taught in a certain way or should be taught in this way you know that that's that's one thing but i think when it goes when the rhetoric goes into words like indoctrination or you know sometimes grooming is thrown out there i think at the other end of that is a teacher who is a person who is who is hearing all of that and and as you said kind of swept away in this bigger political discourse that isn't really about them individually but sounds like it is about them individually when these these topics come up. And I think that is definitely, um, from what I've seen with the survey results, uh, part of the, the strain. They feel like they are kind of have to be on the defensive against parents when it when they feel like it should be more of a of a dialogue about their about their child. Um, so it, it that's one of those things that again we'll see if that shifts, you know, if the the climate changes, if the politics change move to something else or you know, we'll see about that. Um, but 
in terms of the bigger things, uh, you know, there are some solutions that the districts can do better. You know, they can kind of work better on support for teachers. Um, and then there are some that are that lawmakers looking at to try to make this better. One of which is a student, a student loan, a teacher, you know, forgive a loan forgiveness program for student loans for teachers who agree to work in certain school districts that are, that are very understaffed and stay there for at least five years. That's something that's being contemplated uh, in both the house and the Senate to try to at least give it a financial incentive. Yeah. I mean, that, that's huge. I mean, talk about the, the cost of higher education just exploding mm -hmm. over the last 30 years. You, you figure, yeah, generally speaking, if if these teachers that live in a more rural communities of New Hampshire um, weren't saddled with forty thousand plus dollars worth of student loan debt because of, of needing to get a, a, a degree, obviously, because we we want our teachers to have education, uh, spe specifically for for the realm that they're going to be teaching in, it, it's a huge burden that they have to bear financially. And I remember mm -hmm. my first few years out of college, it, it's. I couldn't imagine making less than I was. I was, I was struggling yeah. with what I was making. One of the other interesting dimensions here is that New Hampshire has a pretty splintered system when it comes to school funding. Since yeah. since most schools are three three quarters funded by local property taxes, that means as as we all well know that that. School districts that have towns that have high property values have much bigger budgets than school districts with low property values. Those budgets affect how much they're able to attract teachers. And so it may come out in the form of pay might be higher, you know, um, or it might be some of those more intangible things like, you know, are there community events? Uh, you know, if you have a nicer school building, there might be more sort of synergy between the school and the community. That's one thing that has come out in the research that the superintendent, Michael Wayland, who I talked to, did, that if there were more community events that involved the school, that teachers felt like they, they, were, they were supported not just when they were in the classroom, but when they were out in the community too, and that there was kind of more alignment between the town and the school. Well, that can be easier when you have nicer facilities and you have uh, you know, a more property wealthy town. And so what has happened with this teacher shortage is a lot of teachers are able to shop around and you know, maybe there is a school district that they love, but at a certain point, you know, you have to make practical decisions. And so even that one teacher may have, may have stayed and given up that $20,000 raise. But a lot of teachers might not do that. And a, a lot of the rest of us wouldn't do that either. And so when you're in this environment where you are having a scarcity of teachers and you're having a disparity between school districts, it creates these incentives that basically create something like a brain drain out of certain districts and into other districts so some districts win and some lose so there's there's some there's some of that in migration and then there are teachers that leave the state and some of that has to do with state policies they may go to um, states that kind of more align with the education policies that they'd like um, and that's another issue and some of them quit the profession entirely this survey was interesting because it was pretty evenly divided among you know teachers who are moving to another school in New Hampshire, moving out of the state, retiring, moving to a different job in education that's not even teaching. Um, it seemed like there were um, a fair, fairly split proportions between them. 
All right, well, this is something that's definitely not going to be solved in the next couple months, but it'll be really interesting to see when the uh, house gets back in business here over the fall and into the beginning of next year because there's a lot of things to discuss, and I think both sides are, uh, of the political aisle are coming up with very different solutions that hopefully they can um, be somewhere in the middle on, and hopefully yeah. eventually this toxic debate kind of slows down. Well, one on thing that's interesting it. is teacher recruitment is actually, this this issue itself is bipartisan, and this mm -hmm. committee is bipartisan, and uh you know what comes out of it we'll see but that issue of well we're losing teachers and we need more that's bipartisan i think that some of the causes i would imagine that conservatives would disagree that you know some like the divisive concepts laws it's called yeah. by some that passed in in 2021 that's the law that kind of bars certain types of teaching and advocating around certain concepts around race gender and other issues that law has been cited by some of these teachers in the survey. I'm sure that, you know, obviously that would be something that wouldn't have a bipartisan uh, response. But I think that the mm -hmm. actual scarcity of teachers does have a bipartisan response. Um, and so where this bill goes and whether their loan improvement and, and how much good that does in the state, we'll, we'll have to watch. Ethan DeWitt, NewHampshireBulletin.com. Thanks for joining me. Glad to be on. NewEnglandTake.com, like and subscribe down below. Find us on your favorite podcast platforms. We'll talk to you soon.